Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode number 310, I have the privilege of introducing you to Amber O'Neill Johnston. I came to this uh, in a place where I was ready to kind of lay down my life for my children. And I am always. And I was expecting though that I would be pouring out the entire time. I mean, I'm going to be a homeschooling mom. I'm not going to have any free time and I'm going to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice and pour out for the children. Great. I was okay with that. I signed up for that. Um, But what I found was actually that rather than losing myself in this process of bringing this slow childhood of wonder to my children, I actually found myself. And so as I was exposing my children to things that I didn't expect to get anything out of, I found that I was getting everything out of it. So example, I said I was raised in the air conditioning when I, well, I I believed that it was good for my children to be in nature. And so I started taking them on these long meandering walks and hikes in the woods. And I found out I love the woods. They sing to me, you know, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is for me. I just, I'm being so blessed by this. Amber is a homeschooling mom of four using Charlotte Mason principles. And in her home, she says Charlotte Mason wears an Afro. Now, I get that for a lot of us, when we hear someone's homeschooling, we kind of layer on some shame if we're not doing that. And we decide that that is the ultimate mom thing. And what I want you to hear when you're listening to Amber's story is the joy that God brought to her life by leaning into how he made her, by leaning into discovering a new way of learning, and to ask God what that is for you. How has he made you? How can in this season where everything is heavy, where as moms we are carrying so much, whether it's our careers and balancing distance learning and all the things, what could he have for you to bring joy that is not a burden, that is not one more thing to carry, not one more to-do list to check. And how can he open your eyes to that? Invite the Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see what joy you have for me within motherhood. And also wanted to give a little disclaimer, Charlotte Mason principles can be used whether you homeschool, private school, public school. My virtual assistant, Sarah Jane, she has kids in public school that are distance learning right now, and she integrates these same principles into their life. So all that to say, let's get right to it. Here we go. Hey, Amber, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, I was telling you that I love sharing the variety of mom brand options available to us. And when a listener shared your Instagram profile with me uh, with the Christmas books you had shared. Sure. I was like, oh, I've got to have Amber on the show because we have never done an episode specifically with a mom who is homeschooling classically. And I just, I love how you said Charlotte Mason's wearing an Afro. Is that the phrase? Yeah. <laughs> I said in my home, Charlotte Mason wears an Afro. <laughs> okay. So I just really thought, especially in light of a lot of moms are reevaluating their educational choices. This time of year in our neck of the woods, this is when people are signing contracts, 
putting in applications, deciding, am I keeping kids home? What kind of curriculum are we picking? And so I thought it'd be great to kind of share your journey. How did you get where you are and kind of really embracing how God made in in your storyline and how it integrates with education. So take us back to you as a mom of, and now you have four kids, but with your first couple, like deciding your educational process, like what was life like back then? Yeah. So our plan had always been, I was a stay-at-home mom. Our plan had always been that when the kids became school age, I would go back to work and we would use, we would live off my husband's salary. We'd use my salary to pay for Christian private school. And a couple things were going wrong. One, (laughs) (laughs) one was that, duh, like when the one kid's ready for school, the other kids are not. So yeah, yeah, in my mind, I thought like, oh, they all go on together and I go back to work. So there was that idea that one was getting close, approaching the time for kindergarten and the others were still in the throes of me wanting to be their mommy at home. And then at the same time, I mean, there, as I look back on it now, it's so silly. It's almost embarrassing, but just to be real, um, our daughter, our first daughter, she's really tall for her age and she always has been. And so would, she was in a little morning preschool at the church near our home. And when you'd walk into the classroom, it looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and all the little Danny DeVitos, you know, <laughs> around there. And so towards the end of the year, my husband's like, whoa, okay, she's done with preschool now on to kindergarten. And I was like, well, and he's like, what? I said, actually, she's going to be in pre-K next year. He was like, what is pre-K? I was like, she's, she's not old enough. Her birthday is late. She misses the cutoff. He was uh, like, so she's going to be in another year of preschool looking crazy like this. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. And he was like, but she's ready. She's so smart, you know, as every parent yeah, feels yeah. about their child. Especially and the oldest. Know, the oldest exactly. had a lot of one-on-one she, time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so now, of course, I can look back and laugh and say, this is everyone's firstborn, but um, we felt she was so special. And <laughs> he started researching how he could get this girl into starting school. And so what he came up with was that if we homeschooled her for two years, the school district would allow her to continue on with the grade that we had her in. And as petty and silly as that sounds, that is how, (laughs) that is how it started. And um, from that time, you know, when he first approached me about it, I just started laughing. I could not stop giggling because I'm like, this man is crazy. I'm not homeschooling these children. And um, at the same time, I started randomly meeting mothers in my community and I would see them with their children and it would kind of pique my interest the way they interacted with them or what they happened to be doing that day. And inevitably they kept ending up being homeschooling moms. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. God, I, are you trying to tell me something? And so I'm long story short, I met a mom at the park she was homeschooling and she, we, we didn't exchange numbers or anything, but we both would frequent this park and we just started seeing each other multiple times a week. And she just started speaking into me, building my confidence around it. And she took it kind of from a place of you could do this to a place of me feeling like, oh, I'm definitely going to do this. And since starting, I think what's happened is that people come and enter into a space from so many different directions. And yes, I came from a very silly place as to why we were considering this. But once we got into it, there have just been so many reasons to stay and swim in the waters for us. Hmm. Has it been something that you reevaluate every year or are you just like sold? This is it for us. 
So it started as a year, again, I still thought my husband was crazy. So I was willing to do, okay, I'll homeschool her for K4, you know, pre-K. Right. What's the big right. deal? It's not and organic chemistry. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, what what harm could be done? And then she'll roll into <laughs> kindergarten or roll into first grade. So I was like, well, I'll try two years. These two years, kindergarten's not mandatory in my state of Georgia. I don't know about other places. So I was like, mm-hmm. what difference does it make? And then we'll put her in first grade. Then once I got going, I just ended up feeling like not only is this okay, but I think I'm made for this. Hmm. And it it started to fit me like a glove. And I saw my daughter soaring as well. And I guess in a lot of ways, people talk about homeschooling. They often only talk about the children. But for me... I think my daughter would have been happy in school too. It really became the entire family. It fit all of us. It wasn't just like, oh, this is the best thing for my child. I think it's a great thing. It was a great thing for her, but it was also working really well for me and for my husband and for the siblings and and everything that we had going on. So it became a holistic solution that worked well for the entire family. And I shared with you, like I've had so many different moms come on the show and some moms have come on and said they have tried staying home full time. They have tried homeschooling. They have done all the things. And I think sometimes we, we have this uh, ranking of good moms and the best moms are able to stay home, homeschool their kids and classically educate their kids. It's like you're top of the list. And if they fall short of that, they feel like something's wrong with them or they're not a good mom. And I don't think that's the case. I know you don't think that's the case. And yet I know moms that thrive staying home and homeschooling. And so I want to give a space to allow you to share why that's true for you and what lies you were believing that were keeping you from embracing that that was the right place. So I think that I was coming from a place of academics rules all. And so what, what environment can I give my child that she can totally excel academically and achieve and reach successful heights? And it was basically the blueprint of the childhood I had. And it's all that I knew, you know, do as well as you can, aim for straight A's, participate in everything, get scholarships, do well, get a great job and move forward in your career. And I was starting out with that mentality. But there was something in the back of my mind that just kept feeling like there was something that wasn't right. And now I can name it. And what it was, was that I wasn't happy with that trajectory. And so it felt like, why am I continuing to present that as the single path for my children when I took that path and it led to unhappiness for me? And so I thought, I think there's something broader and bigger that I want to give her where that path could be hers. I don't know, but that it doesn't have to be prescribed and laid out in that way. And so rather than focusing so deeply on academics, I started uh, solely academics. I started researching and finding out about different homeschooling philosophies, different education methodologies. And I was stumbling upon some things that I had never considered. So things like time spent outdoor outdoors in nature, about the ability for a child to take ideas away from the things that they were learning rather than facts, a flexibility to our day and 
a different type of rhythm, seasonal rhythms, daily rhythms, and just things like this that I guess are less, we're less able to define and things that I had never really thought about or heard of. I mean, no one ever tried to look and see what my daily rhythm naturally is or I tell people I was raised in the air conditioning. Like, what are we going to go out in the woods and do what? You know what I mean? Like, I don't fish. I, you know what I mean? Like, it was so foreign to me. And again, I laugh at these things now. But if you were raised in the air conditioning and you have children, but you're reading these books about the beauty of nature and all of this. And so to be honest, what I started doing was, okay, I, all of this is foreign to me. This idea of wonder, magic in a childhood. Um, slow childhood, these types of concepts. I have no idea really what people are talking about, but I'm reading about these things and I want this for my children. So I didn't have it. So I'll create it for them. And that's where I kind of started out on this path of, I read about these things and I'm going to do them for my children, even though I'm not necessarily connected to them. Before Amber and I talk more about Charlotte Mason, who she was, what she wrote about, and I reveal how little I know, I did Google that Charlotte was born in 1842 in the United Kingdom. And that leads us into this week's sponsor, Acorn TV, which is a streaming service rooted in British television. So if you're finding it's cold outside, you want to curl up on the couch and enjoy something a little different than you've been watching, something that transports you to another land, then check out Acorn TV. They have so many award-winning series across all the genres, mysteries, dramas, comedies. If you're looking for something else to watch at night, check out Acorn TV. They have a really popular quirky British comedy called The Other One that's a must-watch. It follows two sisters from very different worlds who have no idea the other existed until their father drops dead. And for you Down Abbey fans, it features a hilarious performance from Miss O'Brien. And I don't know how to say her real name. Siobhan Finneran. It is a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services. It's just $5.99 a month. If you want to escape to Britain and beyond without leaving your seat. Try Acorn TV for free for 30 days. Go to acorn.tv. Use my promo code, DMA, don't mom alone. That's acorn, A-C-O-R-N dot TV. And use the code DMA and you're going to get your first 30 days for free. And where were some of your sources when you say you're reading about it. Did you, are you one of those that you're actually reading Charlotte Mason? Cause I feel like someone, a lot of people throw her name around, but they've probably, I know I have not read. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. will admit I, have, <laughs> I send my kids to school. It's based on Charlotte Mason, but I have not read any of her work. Right. So in the beginning, no, I was reading blogs. Let's be real. Right. <laughs> so like I, someone I, I else getting, like dissect this for me. Yes. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, thank you for that. Yeah. So, you know, reading blogs, listening to podcasts, but you know, I'm, six years in now. So yes, yeah. I read yeah. the volumes and and I've done a lot of reading by myself, but what has helped me most are my book clubs. So I'm mm-hmm. always in an ongoing Charlotte Mason book club with some friends here locally. And so we hold each other accountable to keep progressing through because I mean, those are some thick books <laughs> and there's six of them, yeah. you know? So yeah. And at any given moment, you can read a summary of any part of it online that someone else has read and regurgitate it for you. So it helps to have partners 
who are going through it with us. But yes, we do read it. And I feel like even in Dallas, there are so many different versions of what a classical education is. Do you think you could give us like for those who are unfamiliar with that concept or maybe it's not in their community? Like you mentioned the nature and the ideas. If you could boil down (laughs) (laughs) and give us just like, I don't know, so that someone who's like, I've never even heard of this. And yeah, what would be the key features? Okay. So there was a woman in England long ago um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and she developed basically a philosophy of education based on 20 principles. And she wrote a six-volume set of books where she explained the principles and the theory behind her um their application for education. And she was so much more than that, but that's a, a quick summary. Yeah. Yes. And part of this is, it, all of it is built on the concept, a few concepts. One is that a child is a born person, that they are whole and complete and not just a vessel to be filled, but um, someone with their own, they have their own minds and they have their own callings. And our job as teachers, our parents, um, either one, both, is to kind of lay a feast of ideas before them and guide them along through it. But the Holy Spirit is the supreme educator and the Holy Spirit will speak directly and work directly with our children just as he does through us. And that was a total reframe for me because Mm -hmm. it gave me a lot of freedom and released a lot of pressure for me when I realized that I'm actually not the supreme educator. I am a guide and I'm going to come alongside my child. And the child is whole in and of herself or himself. And that my job is not to teach in the traditional sense of teaching, but more to act as a guide. And so there's a lot more to it, but that's a a basic summary. So I loved the ideas that the child would be presented with a broad if you want to say curriculum or a broad exposure to a broad number of subjects. So you have composer study where the children are learning classical about classical composers and their music, art, artist study, picture study, where they're learning to actually like memorize great works of beautiful art. There's poetry and of course, literature and even song and hymns and folk songs. I mean, it's so broad. And the idea that I would not rank the subjects for my child and say, oh, these are our real subjects and then these are our extras, but that I would present them all. And again, the Holy Spirit will work with that child and they will decide what their bent is and which way they'll flow and direct and which ideas they'll take from that. I've never heard it phrased that way. I love that. I love that. And, and yet I also hear like she talks about them being whole, but also it's very developmentally oriented. Don't you think? That's right. Yeah. And so she often talks about children starting school later than what we normally would consider. So around the age of six. And so it's funny because if you remember, my whole point of getting started in homeschooling was that our four-year-old would be able to quickly get up and running in kindergarten. (laughs) And so what ended up happening, we kind of started this whole thing. And so she was in her, you know, she's four of going to turn five. And we went through this whole year of kindergarten. Thankfully, what I was doing for 
for kindergarten because I had already been reading. It wasn't Charlotte Mason, but I'd already been reading these things about slow childhood. We were mostly just out in the community and spending the day at the museums and, and taking long walks in nature and playing with friends and reading good books. So it wasn't that we were really doing too much heavy lifting. But you know, when we finished that year, by then I had been introduced to Charlotte Mason and had started reading her writing and had really come to believe and understand her rationale for waiting a little while before diving into formal lessons. And so what I did is at the end of the year, I made a little certificate for my daughter and I said, congratulations, you finished kindergarten A. Now you get to do kindergarten B. <laughs> and she was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did another year of that, you know, kind of playful, slow reading time and, and spending time in our world or in the world around us and called that kindergarten B. And then the following year, we started with first grade and her formal lessons. So while we initially entered into homeschooling with a drive to push, achieve, succeed, and get started as quickly as possible, we ended up putting a slow, slow break and lingering for a couple of years before ever starting the formal lessons. And I love that removes the pressure, like moms that will reach out to me and say, I'm worried my child isn't reading. He or she is five. And I mean, none of my boys, because of going through the school that they're in, really read for themselves until first grade. But when they started in the fall, like August, September, by Thanksgiving, they were reading chapter books. And they hadn't read, but I had read to them. They had been exposed. They'd been like, they'd been read to for since I'm a speech language pathologist. Mm. So (laughs) I'm kind of, I was the one who like, you bring the newborn home and you're reading a little bit early, (laughs) like a little bit obsessive with my oldest. But I mean, that is, I think that concept removes a lot of pressure from a parent. And there are children that again, there are like learning differences and so many great resources these days for kids with dyslexia or dysgraphia. And that is a real need, but to put pressure on a parent that a child has to read by five. I love that Charlotte takes this longer look at childhood and also recognizes that they are learning what they see in front of them. So when there's lesson plans about planets that they can't see and they're in kindergarten, that's a little bit too abstract for them mentally compared to let's have lessons on the trees around you. Let's talk about the leaves of the trees around you. Let's talk about the birds around you. I feel like it's a lot, it's more tangible where they are mentally than a child who is imagining. Does that make, is that true with Charlotte? I feel like. No, that does make sense. Okay. (laughs) No, I'm making up. I mean, never read the volumes. I'm making things up. (laughs) No, I don't know that she would say it just, you know, that she said that specifically, but I think the focus of the God's creation and the natural world, natural history, and two parts, just being in nature and then certain times of of the week actually studying nature. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a great place to root children. It's a foundation for future science lessons that can be all worked back to kind of the concreteness of what they discovered while they were just out exploring the world around them. So I think so. And I think to your point, you know, when you talked about parents not feeling the pressure of 
their children having to reach certain milestones at a very early age, it also relieves pressure the other way because I've heard people say, well, my child is begging me to, to tell them how to spell their name or to teach them how to write or to, to learn to read. But Charlotte Mason said to wait until they're six. So I've been trying to, to stop. And I'm like, no, no, no. She said, don't introduce formal lessons, but you don't hold, you know, she didn't say to hold back a child who's wanting that. Yeah. So they're, they're all different. You know what I mean? Some children will be begging and, you know, ready to go. I haven't had one of those kids, but <laughs> there's some children I've seen who are wanting and asking and pulling for that information that we, you know, we certainly wouldn't want to withhold, but it's just that we don't have to push them. And it's been really interesting for me to see with each of my children, how they all kind of flow differently. They peak and they have valleys and plateaus all at different times. And I do think it takes a lot for me, it, community has been very important to be around other families and mothers who can stand up next to me and say, like, it's okay. Because it can be difficult when you see your friend's children or your neighbors or, or someone who's on a different educational path and their kids are hitting what we consider to be miles, milestones sooner. You start wondering, mm, am I raising hippies? Is yeah. this really going to work? And, um, you know, <laughs> it's good to be able to be in community with other moms who can say, no, you know, take the long view. Yeah. They can remind you to take the long view. And so far it has always worked for me. It just yeah. always has. Yeah. I remember talking to moms who, especially if they chose to come to our school in pre-K and then there's like a summer birthday kindergarten class and then the kindergarten. So that's like three years of kind of reading books and learning about nature. And yes. like, really? This is going to work? I'm like, just trust the process. You'll be fine. <laughs> just trust the process. So tell me a little bit, like you talk about, we were talking about nature and I love how you were saying uh, to me that so often you hear you know, we're talking a lot about our kids and sometimes they can become so much of the focus of this education process. But what did you learn about yourself as you were kind of going through the nature studies and the reading books and the slowing down? Okay. So basically I, I came to this, uh, in a place where I was ready to kind of lay down my life for my children. And I, and I am always, and I was expecting though, that I would be pouring out the entire time. I mean, I'm going to be a homeschooling mom. I'm not going to have any, you know, free time and I'm going to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice and pour out for the children. Great. I was okay with that. I signed up for that. Um, but what I found was actually that rather than losing myself in this process of bringing this child, this slow childhood of wonder to my children, I actually found myself. And so as I was exposing my children to things that I didn't expect to get anything out of, I found that I was getting everything out of it. So example, I said I was raised in the air conditioning when I, well, I, I believed that it was good for my children to be in nature. And so I started taking them on these long meandering walks and hikes in the woods. And I found out I love the woods. Yeah. They sing to me, you know, and I'm yeah. like, wow, this is, this is for me. I just, I'm being so blessed by this. And the music. Um, I grew up playing classical music. I played the cello all through school, but it was a class subject in my mind. I wasn't mm -hmm. listening to that music outside of playing it. And so I wanted my children to love it though. And so I would play it at dinner time and during the day often. And I started finding myself like 
getting lost in, in reverie as I was listening to this music and then the beautiful art. I met my husband at the art museum here in Atlanta. Um, it's where we met and, and kicked things off. Right. And so it's not that I didn't like art, but it was more something that I felt like I should do. And so I thought, well, I should like good art. And so I'll expose my children to it. But as we're sitting there studying these pictures, sometimes I would find myself just overwhelmed by the beauty or the meaning behind what this artist was trying to convey. Mm. And we're sitting here singing hymns and in our, our morning time. And I'm so like, why am I crying right now? You know, like this is my lesson time for my kids. And so what I realized is that somehow along the way, some things like a flame had blown out in me. It had been covered up. And I think a lot of it was, you know, the pressure of the textbooks and that need for those straight A's and the scholarships and grad school and corporate America where I originally was working. And I was just going and doing, and I lost a sense of what I love, a sense of my tastes, what I like to do with my free time, what I like to read or enjoy listening to. And I found like, I really like pretty things and centerpieces on the table and tea time with beautiful China. And I hadn't been doing any of that. So um, I just feel that you know, like you said, that there are different callings for each mother into how she's going to kind of lead her family. But for me, what I found with homeschooling is not only is it beautiful for my children, but that it allowed me to reconnect with myself and bring joy back to my life. Moms, I don't know about you, but Amber's realization, just finding the joy and the beauty. I know that personally, that even applies to my physical beauty and investing in myself. And so I was thrilled when Function of Beauty reached out and offered some of their products to me. So what I got to do was go take their quiz and tell them a little bit about my hair type, whether it's straight, wavy, curly, coily, and my goals, whether it's to lengthen, volumize, oil control. I have a lot of really thin hair, so mine is to volumize. And because hair changes with seasons, you can even change your goals before every shipment. I also got to pick out the color of the actual products. Like it's not coloring my hair. It's just that the products are pink because nothing in my home is pink. Um, And the fragrance, or if you want, You can go fragrance and dye free. It's vegan and cruelty free. They never use sulfates or parabens. You can go completely silicone free. I thought it was so fun. It even says it's for Heather. You could put in whatever you want, like Coochie Coo or whatever your nickname is. You can put it on the bottle. You will never buy off the shelf and be disappointed. Again, if you go to functionofbeauty.com slash DMA, take your quiz and save 20% off your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. So go to functionofbeauty.com slash DMA so that they know that you heard about it from our show and get that 20% off of your order. Functionofbeauty.com slash DMA. I think that's beautiful in itself. And I love that it doesn't even stop there that you even owned your voice in that this Charlotte Mason curriculum or uh, setup was handed to you and you're looking at your family and where you're coming from and you're like, 
I could even adapt this a little more <laughs> to make this fit us that I don't have to fit the mold and the formula of what everyone's doing around me. So talk to us more about that. Like, yeah. So, okay. So we're doing all this beautiful stuff, right? I mean, it's just like, it was great. Right. I mean, I'm just like, look at my child. She's reciting beautiful poetry and like, we're doing all the things. And I'm like, we're jamming here. Everybody's happy. But my daughter started, you know, exhibiting signs of, I call it acting out, but towards herself. So exhibiting Mm. signs of what the only thing I can call it is self-hatred. Hmm. So anything that was associated with being black or African-American, so her skin, her curly hair, my skin, you know, she would ask me, why am I the only one who has a brown mom? Mm. And she's not making the connection. And she's a little kid. She doesn't understand genetics and all that. And hating her hair, just absolutely hating it. And, um, and I wish I could show you a picture. She has the most gorgeous hair ever. I mean, (laughs) I find myself jealous all the time. Like, wow. So, you know, you're really just thinking the enemy has grabbed hold of her. And so more than what we have time for today, but it was over a series of many months, almost a year where she was increasingly saying disturbing things about herself. She was counting black and brown people, really anyone who was not white. She didn't really understand different ethnicities or cultures. So like her ballet teacher at one point was Indian and she considered, she was East Indian and she considered that to be her, you know, black. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She like, that's the same as us. So she's just looking Mm -hmm. at skin color predominantly. And she was counting people when we would go places. She would ask me before we went to a birthday party, will I be the only brown person there? Mm -hmm. If so, I don't want to go. And I'm just trying to figure out where in the world this is all coming from because my husband and I, neither of us ever talked about things like this. It's just what she's noticing in the world around her, where she usually was the only one. In the homeschool world, in many places, most places, and definitely Atlanta is no exception, her world was very completely white. So it all came to a head one day. We were on a field trip and uh, we were going to the bathroom before we head back and head home. It was a long drive. We were out in the country of Georgia, rural Georgia. And when we were waiting in the line for the bathroom, she watched a bunch of women go to the bathroom stall, wash their hands, put their hands under the automatic dryers and walk out of the bathroom. And when it was her turn, you know, we went to the bathroom, she's washing her hands and she went to put her hands under the automatic dryer and it didn't come on. So I think that's happened to all of us. So she kept moving her hands all around. It wouldn't come on. And so the bathroom's completely quiet. And she turns to me in this really loud voice and she says, well, I guess the dryers in here only work for white people then. Oh, goodness. And I was like, okay. And we're out of here. (laughs) Wet hands and all. So I just like quickly ushered her out and into the van. And I was just like, honey, why would you say that? You know? And I was mortified. I mean, just mortified. I was like, why would you say that? And she said, well, they know how everything works. And I tried it. It didn't work for me. It worked for all of them and they know everything. I said, Mm -hmm. what makes you think they know everything? And she said, because you told me we study important things in school and we only study white people. Oh, goodness. And so I walked away from that conversation. You know, it was a long ride back home. Yeah. And I was just crying. I was just feeling like something's not working. How could we be doing something so beautiful? 
beautiful and so fulfilling. And it's what everyone else is doing. And it be so broken for my daughter. And so I walked away. That's kind of the beginning of the journey. And I realized, you know, I got to get rid of this Charlotte Mason, this classical education, something, you know, like what, I don't know what's going on, but I prayed about it. And I really started digging back into her original volumes and getting off of the blogs and the podcasts and everyone else's interpretations. And what I realized is that a lot of people have taken her writing and they've blown it out into a curriculum with lesson plans and book lists and everything based on her work and her ideas, but they made it for themselves and their families, which is great. But then I tried to take that and use it exactly as written for my family and no, it didn't work. And so I went back to the basics and I said, I'm going to take her principles and I'm going to apply them to my family. And so for me, that meant making space for voices of people who look like us, who come from our background, who share our stories. And that didn't mean a complete replacement, but making room for more voices, including our own. And so what I say now is that I just came into the kitchen and sprinkled myself all over this. I was like, oh, I'm about to help you, sweetheart. And I'm going to show you how beautiful our people are and where we come from and who you are are and why you should love yourself. And when we rooted ourselves in that, it really, I mean, she came alive. She became a completely different person, to be honest with you. So much in what you just (laughs) said, so much. But for whoever is listening, what I want more than anything of Amber's whole testimony is for you to hear her owning her motherhood and owning her ability to influence her home and not losing your identity in someone else's formula. This it's it's such a beautiful example of not trying to force your family into a mold it's not supposed to be in and yet taking things from around you and beautiful things like you said and an education form that you weren't familiar with growing up but that you've we're thriving in personally as a mom and and making it something that now you're offering to other parents and just offering this great rich way to approach learning for everyone which is so great so great and empowering others from all different ethnic backgrounds and storylines and i think we as moms we do miss out when we don't share what we love with our kids you know <laughs> Like, yeah. like if we're just trying to, we, if we are trying to be just so child focused that we don't share like, no, I really do love X, Y, and Z. I really do love ballet or I really do love the top 40 hits, whatever it is. Like it doesn't even yeah. have to be a classical thing. Then your kid, <laughs> right. they stand on your shoulders and they take that and with the prompting of the Holy Spirit and their own giftings become the people God wants to use. So uh, that is an inspiring story for me to hear. And I hope for those of y'all listening. So how did your daughter, as you've adjusted and how many, how many years ago was that, that you made that switch? So that was five years ago. Oh, wow. Five, six years ago. Yeah. Five years ago, five and a half years ago. And it's been completely different for us. I think that, um, my other kids, because of her and the help that she was able to give me for her using her voice and speaking up, my other kids have never really had that path to walk down. They just have always been swimming in it. And I think that, 
you know, what I took away from it is that I brought everything to the table for my child, the best of all. But the thing I left behind was me. I didn't mm-hmm. bring me. I didn't bring myself and who I was. And when, when I started doing that, that's where I saw that things really changed. And that's something I think every mom can do. Homeschooling, yeah. not homeschooling. You know, maybe for me, it manifested in my home and in kind of a cultural way, but for other people, it may manifest in, in something else. But I think that God gave us the children. They made us their mothers for a reason, and we're all unique. And to leave that off when you're presenting the world to your children, to leave yourself out of it feels like um, a short-changing moment for them. And I think they will grow and go. <laughs> and if you haven't brought yourself into it and developed your own voice and your own likings and your own loves and then you're left empty-handed and I think we saw that with the generation before us of moms who have a lot of regrets and have struggled to then find themselves as 50-year-old women, 60-year-old women. Now, you know, with motherhood starting later for a lot of moms, um I think that they are doing that a little better and They know themselves a little bit more before they've started having kids. So I don't know. I'm inspired, Amber. I know you have a ton of resources on your site. So I'd love for if you could just highlight some of those in case someone listening wants to learn a little bit more or kind of utilize what you have to offer. Yeah, definitely. I blog at heritagemom.com and chat on Instagram at heritagemomblog. But on my website, I offer something called Heritage Packs. I have tons of like free resources as well, like book lists and book recommendations and everything. But I offer something called Heritage Packs. And basically the idea is that so many of us, um, whether our children are in school, whether we're homeschooling, using a curriculum or anything, we often find ourselves wishing that there were more diverse perspectives in our children's lessons and education, but we like everything else that we're doing. We don't want to just quit. And so the heritage packs allow people to pull those other voices in through um, beautiful living books uh, without totally changing or getting rid of or pulling the kids out of school or changing everything up. So it's kind of like a little, I say it's a way to add a little chocolate, little butterscotch, little caramel to uh, whatever you're doing otherwise. And tell everyone what a living book is. So the idea behind it being a book that has ideas in it that are often told in a narrative form and usually presented as a um, from someone who's passionate about that subject versus just a tidbit here or a tidbit there. So it's kind of something you might consider consider to be like the opposite of a textbook. So it's often topical, it's narrative, maybe storytelling component, um, using really rich language and, you know, full of ideas that make it easier for the child, more interesting to read and easier for the child to learn from. So I send my kids off, right, to this school. But then one year, (laughs) I had someone create the curriculum and I did it at home for two of my boys and read some of the curriculum. You know, I was teaching them through the curriculum, but then read some of the books. And I vividly remember Carry On, Mr. Bowditch. Mm -hmm. You know that book? So then Mm -hmm. mathematics is involved. He's studying the stars. He's navigating through water. Anyway, we learned so much. (laughs) about Mm -hmm. language related to boats and all of that. 
and it's a story. It's a true story of a guy and Nathaniel Bowditch. And uh, anyway, that's where I realized, I was like, oh, this is what they're talking about. Yes. It's one of those (laughs) things, it's much easier to understand when you see it. Like if I read you a passage about something, a non-living book, and then read about the same type of thing from a living book, it's exactly like you said. It's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting. And um, I don't know that I'll fully understand everything my kids have gained. (laughs) Although my mom says that I was homeschooled from third through eighth grade. And my mom says that she was using a classical method for a lot of those years. So I made it, I played in the woods a ton, a lot of poetry. So I think I had the experience, but I didn't really appreciate it until I homeschooled that one year. Okay. Well, thank you, Amber, for coming on today. I am so thankful to connect you with anyone listening who's considering owning the education and doing something a little different to follow you and to be inspired by you and whatever aspect of their motherhood they're wanting to kind of flip the switch, kind of change up the formula. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me here. It was great. I enjoyed talking with you. Okay. Before uh, I pray over us, I don't want to gloss over the tenderness and just the vulnerability of Amber sharing her daughter's story with us. For anyone who's listening and that is super familiar to you, whatever your ethnicity, if you have felt those feelings of not belonging, of um, unworthiness, of not valuing self-hatred in any form, that I just have a really tender spot for you right now. And I want, I wish I could sit across from you. I wish I could hear your story, hear your heart, learn from you, cry with you, go with you, in prayer and just let God do what he does, which is so incredible how he so kindly ministers to each of us and whispers who we are and who he made us to be and how he has good plans for us right where we are. He so tenderly calls you his own, his Love for you is so strong. He sees you as his beautiful child. And his heart breaks that the world tells us anything different. So, Lord, I thank you that you can be physically with each person listening, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are not bound by time or by space. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that right there now in this moment, each person listening would feel your presence, that any lies of unworthiness, self-hatred would be broken, that you would speak your tender love, your unmerited favor over them, that they would know you, that they would know you, God. I pray for moms to embrace who you made them to be, to toss the formulas, to find joy right where they are. I pray for the burdens of just the circumstances we all find ourselves in, that you would be her support, that you would be her strength, that she could know you daily and her dependence on you, that she would not believe a lie that she is failing because it is hard, that she could be held by you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 
men, if I know this is heavy and there's so much happening in the world right now, and if you are feeling really isolated, don't forget that we offer a little support. (laughs) I wish it could be more. Uh, We have podcast clubs that we provide discussion questions so that you have an excuse to gather, even if it's a phone call with a friend um, to talk about you know, something other than your kids, or maybe you end up talking about your kids. That's just what moms do. But we provide the questions. You could gather in someone's backyard or socially distance somewhere. Uh, Some churches are using them. But just go to the website, don'tmomalone.com, and you'll see a little podcast club link. If you want to do something fantastic for this community, if you could pick one of your faves and just share it on your socials somehow, whether it's Facebook or wherever you are, um, Instagram, and just share it, that helps so much. Moms are finding community and finding support and finding God actually through you sharing. So thank you for being part of that marketing mission. And I hope you all have a fantastic week. Meet me back here where I'm going to have Sissy Goff, the counselor from Daystar. She's come on the show multiple times before. She's going to help us learn how to help our kids when they are struggling with anxiety. All right. Have a great week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.